Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Scott Shoot, author of The Full Body Yes. And if you want to level up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Scott Shoot. Scott is at the intersection of the workplace and ancient wisdom traditions. He's been an active advocate for customers and employees in the technology space for over 20 years now. Previously, he was the vice president of LinkedIn's customer operations organization. In his current role as head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn, Scott blends his lifelong practice and passion with his practical leadership and operations experience. His mission is to change work from the inside out by mainstreaming mindfulness and operationalizing compassion. He's the author of the upcoming book, The Full Body Yes, uh, which is now available wherever you buy books. Scott, what is up? Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I want to dive in and build a little bit of context first before we talk about some of the amazing things that you're up to today. I find anybody that's in an untraditional path, like just a non-traditional path, 
uh, I always like to figure out how you got there because odds are when you were, uh, you know, 11 years old filling out the, what do I want to <laughs> be when I grow up section, it probably wasn't head of mindfulness and compassion at a large tech company. So let, let's, let's go sure. back to them. Let's go back to 11 year old Scott. Talk to me That's about, sure. you know, family life, where'd you grow up, all that good stuff. Sure. I grew up on a, on a farm in the middle of very rural Kansas. So youngest of five, this big, uh, well, now my brother runs it. It's like 5,000 acres now. Wow. And when I was a teenager, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to be in life, right? I, I wanted to be in technology. I wanted to, when I was a senior in high school, I was the lead in our high school musical. So I thought maybe I'd move to New York and be an actor, right? Be mm. some sort of performer. I was interested in how the mind works. So I thought maybe I'd be some sort of therapist or psychologist. I wanted to be a teacher, but I was, you know, I didn't want to be poor. I have huge respect <laughs> for the teachers. Uh, we just don't pay them enough. No kidding. And, and there was no way for me to know that this job existed, you know, whatever, 30 years later. But all of those things are true. Like I'm doing every one of those things in my current role. So I, I have this wonder, like, did I know then that some part of me know then and just we didn't have language for what this is? But what I did do was I got an engineering degree, but I liked the people side. So I went into sales after the degree. Okay. Uh, and then I wanted to be a leader. So I went into leadership. I went into customer service management and I ended up, you know, 20 something years later at LinkedIn as the VP of global customer ops, running a team of like a thousand people. So that was like career side, the tra career trajectory. But on this other side, my other path was I'd had this meditation or I'd say contemplation practice since I was 13. And I've been teaching that since I was 19, since I was in college. And it's been a huge part of my life outside of work. And so, but I never talked about it at work. It's not something that, you know, mixed, but I got to LinkedIn nine years ago, right? As in this ops role. And a couple of years in, I noticed that, wow, what an open place, you know? And the CEO is talking about his own meditation practice using Headspace. And long story short, I got over my fear and ego and just started leading, you know, stuff at work. And that kind of snowballed into me raising my hand to be the executive sponsor of our mindfulness program. We didn't have one, you know, so we created one. My, a bunch of volunteers and myself created one. And then eventually, three years ago, for me, the tipping point was our CEO gave the commencement address at Wharton and talked about compassion, you know. And then the next time he's on TV, this is all the reporters want to talk about is compassion, compassion and leadership, compassion and business. And so I'd been in my ops role for like six years. It was time for me to do something else. I made a pitch to him and to our head of HR and with their great support, basically, and a blank sheet of paper, created this role three years ago, head of mindfulness and compassion. Mm. So I have a question for you. Yeah. How, how, <laughs> uh, how did you have the wherewithal or awareness at such a young age in such a rural middle America right. environment right. to even think about meditation or, or, or a mindfulness or awareness or being an actor or having, you know, like the, like the things that you were mentioning, like being, being a psychologist or working with people that, right. that just seems to be so opposite of what <laughs> the culture would have been churning out all around you. So how, how did that happen? That's a great question. I don't really know the answer to that because even, uh, Look, there's amazing, there are lots of amazing people that come from environments like that, but oh, the norm course, yeah. is quite something different. I, had I have incredible parents who were always open-minded and clear-minded and adventurous and instilled in me this uh, thirst for learning and adventure. Mm. For me, it was, uh, 
look, I'll preface this by saying everything we do at LinkedIn is totally secular, but I did come at this from a spiritual tradition. When I was 13, I was introduced to a, a tradition that was not the one that I grew up in in the family. Uh, my brother had found it. And it was just like I had come home. It was like I was looking for it for so long. And not just, you know, since I was 10 or 11 and started asking questions that I didn't like the answers to. For me, it felt like I'd been looking for it for lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And here it was. And this included this tradition of, you know, going inward or contemplating and trying to build your own self-awareness. So for me, it started there. How? I don't know. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's crazy. I had to, I had to ask. It was a yeah, selfish sure. question, but I had to ask that. For sure. So your, your brother, so you were the youngest, yeah. right? So yeah. your siblings obviously had to have some, some impact or, or influence around For sure. your life. Uh, sure. where, where's, every, where's everybody now? Are, are you guys all right. kind of all over the place? Or We're a little all over the place. My, I have two older brothers, two older sisters. So one brother is running the farm. One brother is an entrepreneur, a successful businessman. Uh, one is a teacher, an incredible teacher. And one does computer programming and you know works in that world. Wow. And they're mostly in Kansas. One brother is in Colorado and I'm in California. So we, we did spread out a little bit. But one of the things that's interesting about that is I'm the youngest. And when growing up, I was built, like everything I did was about achievement, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think probably so I could get the attention of my parents and maybe especially my father. But I come from a high-performing family. You know, my one brother is a great musician, another is an academic, a sister who's a, a musician, a, another one who does sports. And I wanted to be better at each of them in their specialty. <laughs> 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 oh, now, now that is an incredible recipe for motivation. It's a terrible recipe for happiness. <laughs> and so what I realized was that, and these, this pattern like took me into adulthood, right? It took me into, and I've done very well in, in the workplace. I've, I've achieved a lot. But what I can tell you is with each of those achievements, we're trying to fill this hole inside of us that can never be filled with that success, can never be filled with those achievements. You know, if you have one success, you just want more. It's like money right? You just want more. So if you become a VP, then you want to be COO, then you want to be CEO, then you want to be CEO of two companies, then you want to go to Mars. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. It can never, never, you're mentioning there. <laughs> <laughs> it can never end. But what is real is like developing ourselves to this point where we are strong internally and we don't need all that external validation to be happy. Sure. One question that always arises when we, I have this conversation with people that I, I just love to hear perspectives on and I can't think of anybody better to ask this to than you. How do you search for or, or try to attain that inner sense of calm, fulfillment, happiness while not taking a dip in your yeah. drive and ambition to continue yeah. to do big things and improve yourself? That's a great question. It's one that I struggled with for 25 years. And I, I think I, I'm much closer to an answer that I like because they seem kind of, opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Like, how do I be this chill? Sure, yeah. How do I be this chill, like whatever Gandhi-like character, but still be super successful at work? Well, actually think about Gandhi. Think about Nelson Mandela. Think about people who had this internal strength. This is the goal. And so just because I meditate or just because I have more self-awareness doesn't mean that I'm weak. In fact, it's the opposite, right? As I build self-awareness, I build more clarity of my values. I build more clarity of who I am. I build an inner strength that does not rely on external validation. And with each one of those kind of stepping stones, 
I become more aware of myself, which allows me to be more aware of others. It allows me to be a better leader because I have more internal strength. I can make the harder choices. Where before in my own development, if I was always seeking outside approval, it's really hard to be a leader that's super successful at the highest level if you're always looking for the attaboy from somewhere, if you're always looking for the outside approval. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. In fact, I think you know these practices have helped me achieve success in the outer world. And so now I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I continue to develop and have an impact on the world without being tied to the success of it, without being tied to the outcome? Mm, yeah. So as an example, I just wrote this book, right? It's called The Full Body Yes. I'm proud of it. And on the one hand, like on the, let's say the, the deeper part of me, is super proud of the book. It's, I think it's well-written. I think it does good things. I think it's going to serve the world well. On the other side, the smaller part of me is like, I keep going on Amazon to hitting refresh every 20 minutes to see if my numbers have improved. It's like, dang, man, I'm still looking for that external validation. So even now, that this is my growth edge. I'm trying to figure out how do I let it go? How do I do all the things to be successful, but then let go of the result? Mm. So it's more tied to the effort that's put into the project rather than the result that comes out of the project. That's right. It's look, all the best learning are things we learned in, you know, kindergarten or fifth grade. Right. So it's, it's the journey, not the destination is the, is the learning there. And that's really it. When we're, when we're doing all the right things, like if we, I think about running a race, right. If you, if you, Travis had to convince me like, Hey, we're going to run a half marathon. And we train for it. And I do everything that I can. I follow the 12-week plan. I eat everything I can. I, I train as hard as I can. And during the race, I run my race as hard as I can. And my life has gotten better, right? People around me know I'm better. In that precious moment when I cross the finish line and throw my hands in the air and smile and bask in the endorphins, does it really matter if you finish 12 minutes ahead of me? Hmm. Right? This is where we get in trouble, right? We have to run our own race and do what we can do. And then the world is the world. I can only control the stuff I can control. Mm. Yeah, letting go of things that you can't control and only focusing right. on what you can. Right. And results are often things we don't control. Mm. We can only control the input. We can't control whether customers buy stuff. We can't control yeah. whether that person loves us back or not. We can only control us. So, so how, how, do, how do we let that go? How, how, do, <laughs> how do we stop worrying about that? <laughs> That is the, that is it. That is the continuous journey. Well, the how of it, I mean, this is, this is the book, but this is lifetimes and lifetimes of experience of of all these books you read about self-awareness is getting that inner strength, right? It's tapping into the stuff that really matters. So as an example, I think that this pandemic has given us a gift, maybe not a gift in a lot of ways, but a gift in this way. And that when I ask people after this almost year and a half now, What's most important to you? Like, what are you really grateful for? It always comes down to a couple really key things. It comes down to their relationships, like their connections, their love relationships. And it comes down to their health, right? This is another way of saying like, what do you most value? Now, pre-pandemic, if I'd ask them, what's most important to you right now? Probably be their job or the vacation they were going to go on or all the stuff in our life. But you know, when we're old and looking back at our lives, we're not going to care so much about the stuff. We're going to care if we're surrounded by people we love, right? We're going to care if Mm. we did something valuable in the world. 
I can't think of a better transition to uh, move into talking a little bit about relationships and, right. uh, and, and networking specifically. This is Build Your Network. We talk a ton about uh, how to go about doing this the right way, how to avoid the, I call them the networking Ned, how to avoid becoming networking Ned, just the, the, the guy everybody's avoiding at the networking event. I hate um, that guy, man. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, uh, so I, I, know that, I know that you have some amazing, uh, some amazing things on this. So the first question that I, that I have to ask, this is the question we've asked every single guest we're coming up. We're, we're over 600 episodes now on the show and we've asked every single guest to ever come on this one question. Who you know or what you know? Which of those two is the most important asset in life, Scott, and why? Oh, man. It's almost always who you know. Almost always. Almost every job I've gotten, it's a combination of things, right? It's not just one at the expense of the other. But who you know is so critical. So, so I think about um, even your relationships, right? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over one hundred and forty million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So what good is it to be the smartest person on earth if you have no friends, right? Or to be the most lovable person on earth, but nobody is there to love you, right? So it's the who you know, like, or winning, you know, I've, I've been on some winning teams, both at work, but also on sports teams. And that's so much more fun to do it with other people than winning at an individual sport. It's just so much more fun. And so for on every level, on, on achieving success as we traditionally def, def, define it, but also just in happiness, like surrounding by our relationships, it's the connections that matter. What would you characterize this bad way of networking as and how do we avoid becoming that person it's selfish right mm. so as a uh, as you're describing networking ned this is so here's an example when i was head of support 
somebody asked me to come to one of these support conferences, right? Oh, it's going to be filled with your peers, like people who are also leading support, leading support, blah, 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 customer service. And so I show up at this banquet room, this conference, and there's 200 people there around these white linen tables. And I'm really excited to meet my peers. And when I sit down, I pick a table and I introduce myself to the eight other people at the table. I realize that I'm the only one who's actually a customer service leader. And there are eight other people who are selling things to customer service leaders. <laughs> like, this is my idea of hell. And so every time I got up from the table, there were three dudes behind me with business cards, like trying to track me down. In other words, it's a one-way relationship, right? Hmm. When somebody is just blasting, like, hey, let me, let me tell you what I do. It's one way, right? But if we can sit and have a conversation and find common ground, and it's a balance of back and forth, like if you really provide value to me and I can really provide value to you, think about your own friendships. This is where you have the deepest friendships where there's, it's about us, right? It's not exactly. just about me. Yeah. So, so then I think about, okay, well, what makes a great networker? If that's even a word we want to, like in the good way. Yeah, right, right. Because <laughs> it has that terrible connotation. It's got, bad, it's got the bad connotation, that's for sure. So, so let's say we want friends, we want connections. Maybe that's a different way to say it. Be a great listener, right? Allow them to tell their story, right? And if, if you love listening to them, they're probably going to love listening to you right? and look for value to add back to them. Yeah, stop treating networking, the reason I think it has such a bad rep is that people just calling it networking makes this switch change in people's yeah. minds. And yeah. they go from being a normal human being that knows how to build Like we all know how to build relationships. We've been doing it since we were in, in elementary school. Sure. You know what I mean? I, I saw literally a kid, I was, I had my kids at the playground the other day and I saw this, this one kid walk up to another kid and one of the kids had a big ball and yeah. he was just playing by himself with his ball. And this other kid walks up to him and the kid with the ball looks at the other kid and he goes, hey, do you want to be friends? Literally <laughs> just like that. And the other kid goes, yes. And then they said, do you want to play? And then they start throwing the ball back and forth. And I was like, boom, there it is. And done. <laughs> like, that's is. how you do it. You know what I mean? Like there, there was no, there's no vomit of the mouth where you're just like have, or you're just talking about how awesome you are. Right. for three minutes and not giving them a chance to talk. It's just right. all of a sudden when you call it networking, all, people just forget how to build regular real relationships with people and they immediately yeah. turn it into what I call in-person cold calling. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah, doing the same right. thing like you're on the phone or like I used to do door-to-door -door sales. I don't knock cold calling. <laughs> I think that it has its place. But at an event where you're supposed to be building relationships with peers in your industry, that's right. not the place to do that. And unfortunately... Right. That's that's what most people do. You know, they, right. they they have to leave with a prospect list to follow up with tomorrow, or else it's an unsuccessful event for them. Right. You right. Know? Oh yeah. Okay. So going back to our earlier discussion about how do we define success, if we go back to the process instead of the result, right? Mm -hmm. If we're thinking about this, let's say I go to the same networking event I mentioned, two hundred people supposed to be service leaders, probably one hundred and ninety eight salespeople there, <laughs> but I I go there. What does success look like? Well, if I think if I'm selling something, I have to walk away with 25 prospects. I'm going to have this desperation, right? Yep. Nobody wants to be around that desperate guy. But if I go there, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have great conversations. I'm going to have great conversations. I'm going to be a great listener, right? And so I'm going to think about, okay, what's, what's my opening question that it would be truly interesting? Like, like I, I love the question, hey, Travis, like, what's most alive for you? And not about your CRM system, but like in your life. <laughs> what's yeah. what's most interesting in your life right now like as a human 
And if you start telling me about your CRM system, I'm going to go get a drink, you know, and start up the conversation with the next guy in line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. But then I'm also going to be a great listener, right? If if I ask you that question, I'm really going to be a great listener. And and if where there's a connection between us, then fantastic. Exactly. That man. That that's the thing is that you can't you can't force it either. You know that that's kind of the purpose of relationship building is that you're probably going to be drawn to people who. Uh, you have synergy with, and you're probably going to be pushed away from people who you don't have synergy with. And that's okay. That's yeah. part of the process. And, <laughs> uh, uh, and to me, it just, it, it just is a, is a symptom of the greater problem. And the greater problem to me is that most people who enter those situations, they're short-term thinkers. That to me is the greater problem. That's the root of the problem is mm. that you're thinking, you're, you, you treat this journey like a short-term journey. Right. Like you got your real estate license last month and you want to make a million dollars tomorrow. So you're going to go to every networking event in the entire valley that you do business in and right. you're going to pass out 12,000 business cards because you think that's what's going to give you success tomorrow. Right. And then when all of the people at those events get turned off because you're a taker and uh, they don't want to do, do business with you because you just keep, you just keep talking about yourself all the time and uh, not actually building relationships, in six months, you quit and you go back to doing what you were doing before because you didn't see any success in that six-month period of time as if that's any sort of good sampling of what success looks like or how you're going to earn it. Um, and it's just, to me, just a, a complete symptom of just, hey, you're looking at this thing the wrong way. If you, right. really want, if you really want to do well in this new field or this industry or whatever it is you're trying to do well in, yeah. you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a long time and relationships right. take a long time. And uh, the cool thing about it is they start to compound just like the, the compound interest in your, you know, uh, in your mutual funds account is those relationships over time just start to get better and better. And then all of a sudden, this person you met at an event four and a half years ago, you're forming a business together or you're, they hired you for some consulting services because you've gotten to know each other over three or four years. You've added value back and forth. There's reciprocation there. You now have mutual trust in each other's expertise and you can actually do something from there. But it took four years. You know, That's it right. didn't take a day. Um, and I think right. people just don't have the patience to wait that long. Yeah. At, at LinkedIn, we talk about compassion as a strategic advantage, right? and operationalizing compassion. Let me give you an example of what that means as it relates yeah, to this, right? Please. Our head of sales will stand in front of you know, 5,000 salespeople at sales kickoff and say, look, our job is to provide long-term value. So at the end of the quarter, don't sell something our customers don't need just so you can hit your quota, right? So when we, when we move away from this me, me, me thinking to the we thinking, it's not selfless. Like we're included in the we. Of course. Right. And as a salesperson or an entrepreneur, like, how can I really provide value? Right. If I'm an entrepreneur, I'm not thinking, okay, how do I make $2 million as quickly as possible? And I know I need it because I need to stay alive. But the first thing I need to think about is how can I really provide value to customers? Because if I don't provide value, the 2000 is going to come, or sorry, the 2 million is going to come and go. And then I'll need the next 5 million. Right. Yeah, I'm just exactly. going to burn through all that. Yeah, you're so, going to have to do the same thing again the next day because you keep burning through, burning through, burning through. That's right. You'll find more people to burn through. That's right. So when we think about the we, not just the me, we're going to be better at networking, better at relationships. We're going to be better at business. 
I absolutely love that. I'm definitely going to start stealing that. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll try to remember that it came from Scott Shoot. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but I, honestly though, because I, I come from a sales background and a lot of the th- sales that I used to do was very much of that high, you know, well, door-to-door sales is very much the high pressure type of get your yeah. quotas in, do the deals, whatever you got to do, yeah. make it happen. And uh, I haven't heard it explained in that way uh, before where it's, it's not... You know, because I now that I'm in the the kind of the podcasting personal development world, now it's the opposite. It's the people that are just like, oh, it's all about the other person. It's all about the other person. It's all about the other person. And it's like, I, I get what you're saying, and I and I do want. And it's not like I don't want to add value to customers. That's a hundred percent our goal as well. Yeah. But also, I want to make money. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so so the way that you laid it out by just saying it's not yeah. me, it's we. It's not just it's yeah. not just about the customer. It's not right. just about me and my sales quotas. It's about how do we create an environment where both of us win together. That's right. There's a good book uh, about twelve ish years ago called Firms of Endearment, and later the same guys did Conscious Capitalism, and they found that companies this at the company level, companies who took care of all of their stakeholders, not just their shareholders, were more successful. So in mm-hmm. other words. Instead of just thinking about top line, bottom line, which you have to do, they also created an amazing environment for their employees so, they, so employees could do their best work. And they also focused on long-term value for their customers so they could meet their customers' goals so their customers could be successful and they had a good business model. The companies who balanced all those three things were 14 times more successful, 1,400% more profitable. So just think about that. Like, this is not some weak thing. This is not just some feel-good thing. Like, right. to be crass, like, this is how you win. Right. Which makes it better for everybody anyway. <laughs> That's right. It makes it better for everybody anyway. Yeah. Well, look, man, I, there's so many other questions that I got for you. Um, but I, I guess I, I really would love to know from, from the book that's, that's, uh, that's now out, um, I'd love to know the top one or two lessons that you would hope people would take away from it. Um, and then is there a specific place URL or something that you want us to go get it or anywhere books are sold? Sure. Anywhere books are sold, you can find it on Amazon. Actually, I learned a new thing in this whole process. Like if you want to support your local bookstore, but you want to order online, you can order it from bookshop.org and then assign your local bookstore and your local bookstore will get the money. So oh, I no. thought that was pretty cool. I'd never heard of that before. Bookshop.org. Bookshop.org. Great. Uh, but you, you can find me on scottshoot.com or fullbodyyes.com, but you can find the book anyway. So top one or two lessons we've kind of already talked about. It's like this movement from me to we mm. it will make us. So I, I talk about my own experience, right? In this time when I was 18 or 22 or 25 and just thinking about my own achievement. And I was a super, super high achiever that is just a place that just never leads to happiness, like really long-term happiness. It's this movement to thinking about all of us, including myself, that really drives happiness. It's that inner strength that's developed through the work, right? The work of the inner introspection and, uh, and, doing, the, and doing the hard work. And at the end of the day, that increases our capacity. It increases our capacity to serve all of life. Now you may think, well, I don't want to serve all of life. I want to serve myself. Well, <laughs> it works that way too. When you serve all of life, you'll be more successful. The deepest, you know, inner type of success that doesn't need the external validation to always seek the happiness. So if somebody's listening right now and they're an entrepreneur or business owner, at what point in, in your business should you consider at least 
and maybe not hiring a full-time person for for this role, but at least uh, assigning somebody within your organization to uh, some sort of similar role to what you are now doing for LinkedIn as head of mindfulness and compassion. It's obviously been something that that LinkedIn's put a lot of stock behind and it's worked out pretty well for them and you've done an amazing job implementing, implementing it there. What would be your advice to to uh, maybe a small business owner that's listening to this going like this, this is exactly what my culture and my company needs right now, but I can't afford to go hire sure. you know, somebody to do this full time. How, how would you suggest kind of implementing that? Makes sense. At the compassion level, this is like how we just how we operate. So if you think of this simple thing that I just talked about in going from me to we and balancing the needs of employees, shareholders, and our customers. If everything you do balances those needs, you don't need somebody like me, right? Mm. It's in your mission statement. It's how you, if the CEO stands on stage in front of 10,000 people or at your staff meeting with your two employees, what is, what's the language you use? You know, so I've been at companies where the CEO is talking about, hey, we're going to be the next $7 billion company or the next $10 billion company. Really? Like, who cares? Mm. But CEOs are like, this is the value we're going to add to our customers. This is how we're going to change their worlds. This is how we're going to change the world around us. And not by how much money we make, but by what are, how are we improving society? So every, if everything you do and say, you know, moves from me to we, you don't need me. And then on the mindfulness side, if you think about your employees, the first question is, do you care about them? Like, because not every company does. But if you really care about them, like if your employees are valuable to you, then think about their well-being. And if you only have three people, of course, you're not going to, my job is not the fourth person you're going to hire. But think about, all right, am I creating space where they can be mentally well, right? Am I encouraging them to be mentally well? Whatever that means, offering, even encouraging them to use a meditation app or just making sure that we're talking about things, just checking in on everybody. This can be done with no money at all involved, right? And if you're a bigger company, there are things that you can offer. You can offer meditation apps. You can offer uh, meditation sessions. You can offer workshops done by internal outside people. You can hire partners that will do all this for you. You can have somebody internally, uh, but it doesn't have to cost a lot. One of my favorite quotes is from Mark Bertolini, who used to be the CEO of Aetna. And he had his own experience with a, a near-death experience and meditation kind of saved him from that. And they offered things at Aetna. And he said, look, if we save one life, who cares about the money? He said it in a little more colorful way. But, uh, <laughs> but that's kind of it, right? We have, we have a pandemic of mental illness, right? People struggling with depression or anxiety or other things. One of the scariest stats I read was one in nine, 11% of people in the last 30 days have thought seriously about suicide. So look, mental wellness is a big deal and it's not going away after the pandemic goes away. So offering whatever we need to offer to make sure people can get the help they need, whether it's something severe or whether it's something more like a vitamin, like, you know, uh, like meditation, the whole spectrum is something that as a leader of a company, we should be aware of. What about practical things in terms of, you know, where employees are working, how often they see coworkers, uh, what type of time off policies that you have in place? What, sure. How do those things kind of work into oh, that? Absolutely. Equation? So, I mean, there's several studies going around. I forget which of the banks, uh, bankers just did this, but, you know, these young people are working, whatever, 100 hours a week on average and taking, you know, one week a year off. 
like these are obviously not places where people can be mentally healthy. Places like LinkedIn, we're trying to offer, you know, we're trying to figure out the, the exactly the right uh, recipe for this, but we've been offering one or two or three weeks off a year uh, of just of paid, like everybody takes that week off. You know, we mm-hmm. typically do it over the Christmas week, as many companies do, or 4th of July. We added another one, you know, during pandemic time. We try to offer one day a month that is a meeting-free day. And I've seen more and more companies take that off, like meeting-free Fridays or meeting-free Friday afternoons, like just some space where people can do what they need to do. And to your question of how much time in the office or together, I think this is going to be the grand experiment as we all come back. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that or has the exact right recipe. But if we're thinking about from perspective of the balance, right, the balance of our employees and what they need to be healthy and do what they need to do as people first, but also the business needs to get done and also what's best for our customers. If we find that balance, then we'll be at a good spot and each business may be different. Love it, Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. There's such a such an insightful uh, conversation and I'm, I'm happy to uh, have been able to bring you on and share some of those things. Um, I got one last thing for you. It's uh, what we call a random round, just quick random questions here at the end, quick random <laughs> All right. answers. You ready? Ready. What profession other than your own do you think that it would just be fun to attempt? <laughs> I always wanted to be a professional musician. I'd love to still do it. Yeah. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who'd it be? Yoda. That's a good answer. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Ah, during pandemic time, I traded commuting time for meditating. So I get up at 6.30-ish. I go outside. I'm in California under my big oak tree. And I do my thing or uh, whatever. It's better. It's, I'm more regular now than I ever have been in my whole life because of the pandemic. So it's been a gift. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? I'm visual. So I, 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 and I increasingly have a short attention span. So it's quick hits on uh, quick articles. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh, my, my walk-up music, same thing, is Happy by Pharrell. Ah, nice. Uh, what is something, setting business aside, just general life here, yeah. what's something that you're just not very good at? <laughs> oh, tennis. <laughs> Another good answer. <laughs> um, so we get everything wrapped up here, Scott. What's one place online where you want our listeners to go to connect with you the most? Yeah, they can go to scottshoot.com or follow me on LinkedIn for regular updates. Perfect. scottshoot.com. That's S H U T E. Dot com. Uh, be sure to go over there, check out some of the things that Scott is up to. And please, 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 you guys know, every time I recommend a book on the show, do not wait. Buy it now. Add it to your library. I promise you will not regret it. The full body, yes. Be sure to go pick up a copy of Scott's book. Uh, if you're listening right now, uh, take a screenshot, share this to Instagram, uh, tag me, tag Scott, and we'll go over there and say, what's up? Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I had a blast chatting with you. Thanks very much. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Hold up. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.